Okay, welcome to the latest episode. My name is Kevin Hogan. I'm editor-at-large for eSchool News, and with me today is Henry Thiele. Henry is superintendent for the Community High School District 99 in Downers Grove, Illinois, which is in suburban Chicago. Hank, great to see you. Wish it was uh, face-to-face at uh, a COSIN or a TCEA, but I guess this is better than nothing, right? Yeah, well, it's good to have opportunities to see people, even though we're so far apart in many ways. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And uh, as we were mentioning before we started recording, we've had many of these conversations over the years at, uh, at danger of uh, dating ourselves. I believe we might have even talked about how these newfangled iPhones would work in school, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, was Google going to be a thing that that caught on and stuck. Yeah, exactly. Never in those conversations can I recall us talking about responding to a global pandemic, however. <laughs> yeah, I think the closest that I ever came to this was uh, the conversations that tech directors were having. That's when I was a tech director. We're having following Katrina and a lot of the educators in that area talking about disaster recovery and management and what that looked like and how school systems needed to be prepared to respond to those unforeseen incidents. And and I do remember conversations after that uh, in my own district talking about every kind of possible disaster or problem that could happen, whether that be, um, you know, a a natural disaster like a tornado or a hurricane or fires. Uh, my last school district was right next to O'Hare Airport, so we talked about a plane crash either near the building or even on top of the building. Uh, and in those conversations, we did talk about uh, a pandemic of sorts. Okay. Uh, and, you know, would we be able to run payroll if everybody had to work from home and, and those kinds of things? And, and could we build technology systems that would support those kinds of things? And uh, it wasn't until a few months into the, the current pandemic that I was like, hey, I, I remember having conversations about stuff like this. You know, yeah. it was very different because it was tech related. It wasn't school leadership related. Right. right. But uh, it was a little comforting to know that, okay, at least somewhere in the back of my brain, we had talked about this. You know? it, was, it was in the wheelhouse there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. You know, there was at least a, a spark there of yeah. of around mitigating a disaster like this. Yeah. Well, let's talk about where um, your state of play is right now. Uh, talk a little bit about your district. Um, you know, now that the vaccine is here, I, 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 I want to talk about thing, how things are going forward. But if you think there are important things that you learned in the initial responses, just give, give us a, a general sense of, of where you see your district at this point. Yeah, it, it has been an interesting journey in trying to lead as information is evolving and unfolding and how that flow of information impacts your decision making and really uh, what your fundamental beliefs are built upon and how that then emerges as programs or, you know, the actual outcomes for students. You know, very rarely as a school leader do you see things happening in real time? You know, as a superintendent, I I tell people who are studying to be superintendents, uh, one of the biggest challenges is you need to lay groundwork three to five years ahead of what the actual outcome is that you're building because you need to, you know, build the leadership capacity and the vision and the buy-in and you have to 
you know, have your professionals develop the skills they need and they need to buy into it to eventually get it to the point where the program is there with fidelity for your students. In, in this, sometimes we're building in three days programs that we would have spent three years building in the past. These just massive seismic organizational changes and, uh, you know, you're, you're pulling on resources and pushing people so quickly at just an uncomfortable rate that you just have to because you're responding to, well, this new information or these new guidelines or, oh, we tried this and that didn't work, you know, and what do we do next? How do we recover from that? All at the same time of your number one priority is keeping everybody healthy and safe. And uh, none of us were trained you know, or very few of us were trained in the health industry. So it's all new vocabulary and mindsets and, and just things that we never had had concepts around before. Um, however, I will say that my uh, being raised on technology and leadership definitely prepared me for this kind of a year because in tech for the last 10 or 15 years, it has been wildly changing like that. You know, there can be just a quick introduction of a new idea, technology, something comes in and causes massive ripples throughout your thinking or your planning or how you're gonna respond. And some of that really helped me heading into this year, but nothing could totally prepare you uh, for what we've seen this year. So that's really, you know, it, you're really playing from behind for the first half of this year and uh, just establishing programming and getting to the point where people trust and buy into what you're doing and then having to change it. And, you know, it, it feels like the goalposts are always moving and the sands are always shifting underneath you. But so over the course of the first half of the year, we have worked really hard to build a safe environment uh, within the guidelines you know, from the CDC and then within Illinois to try to get students back to school on a regular basis. Um, by October, we had built a plan that we thought would do that. Um, we thought we had done that over the summer and then the rules changed to the week before school started. Then we had to retool and rebuild again. Uh, and then October, we actually started getting students back to school regularly. Uh, we had a couple of weeks where everybody was back to school on a regular basis. And then, you know, what we saw across the country happen, we saw this COVID flare up happen and that, that pushed us back to remote. Um, you know, and I led the, the decision making and moving that direction. Starting with second semester, um, we retooled some of our programming, which allowed us to change some of the metrics that we were using to determine if things were safe. And now we've been back in school. Um, for two weeks in person, all students back uh, over the course of a week, every kid's to school every day of the week for half a day. Um, so we're, that's our hybrid model right now. We had one week in and one week out because of rising uh, community transmission rates. Then we were back for a week and now we're out for a day because of a snowstorm. And then we'll be back in person again tomorrow and then hopefully for the foreseeable future. So that's kind of the story of where we're at now. And I, I think, the things that we're starting to see like expansion of testing, vaccinations, we start to move to a spot where we're not playing from behind anymore. We're getting to, to get a little more predictability about what comes next, what's actually going on inside of our schools, 
what the rate of illness could be, you know, and, and I think that allows us to start to build some more uh, long, long range plans, but also uh, provides us some security in the fact that we're not going to get people or there's not as great of a risk of getting people sick. Yeah. Now you mentioned that uh, you have a weather related uh, incident for today. There's been a lot of back and forth about the end of snow days. Are your kids engaged in uh, remote learning or are they sledding? <laughs> yeah, we, we absolutely flipped to the remote learning day. What we would have been doing remotely on a Tuesday for most of first semester, we're doing today. However, um, the death of snow days in our district was already imminent. We, two years ago, uh, no, last year, uh, last year put in an e-learning plan for emergency days. So we, we already had a, a plan in place where uh, if we were out for us in climate weather, or any other emergency day, we would have switched to a, a remote plan there. So it died its death last year, although the death rose of it I'm hearing today, lots of Lots of students and parents lamenting the fact that, you know, the celebration of snow days has come to an end. Right, right. Well, you know, what are you going to do, right? <laughs> can, no, can you talk? Progress, right? <laughs> yeah, talk a little bit about um, your community uh, and how your community has responded to this, and have you noticed changes in dynamics going from in person? communications to what we're doing now over Zoom. Uh, I'll assume that back to school nights were like this. Maybe there are parent-teacher conferences like this. Maybe there's school board meetings like this. Mm -hmm. And ha have you noticed uh, a change uh, in the way in which the community interacts because of this situation? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we all have to remember that schools are just an extension of their communities. So everything that we have seen in society, we see in schools. And uh, that has been amplified very much so heading in, in, into the beginning of this pandemic and planning for the school year and then throughout it. You know, we, the same kind of fractures that we see in society around people that, you know, believe COVID is, you know, are, are one side of this that are, you know, believe that this is, uh, is a, a very quick pathway to people having long-term illnesses or dying and are taking it very seriously and, and sometimes, you know, not leaving their homes at all or only when absolutely necessary. You know, we, we have that kind of direction in our community and we have the other direction that thinks that this really is nothing more than the flu and we're overreacting and we're destroying our economy and our children and, and everything because of it. And if you had a tick mark of degrees everywhere between that side and the other side, I, I have somebody everywhere along that. And that could be a parent, it could be a teacher, it could be a student. Um, and, and then we have groupings of those that have formed, you know, via social media across our community. Um, heading into this school year, it became very toxic. And to the point where I had to issue a statement to my community of like enough, you know, this is not helping. Um, we're all trying to do what's best for our district, for our children. You need to do that as a parent, but threatening one another, threatening school board members, threatening administration, that's not how we get this work done. 
And uh, I, I think, you know, you, I know you want to start focusing on moving forward. I think one of our biggest challenges as school systems, as society, is how do we heal from those fractures that have occurred over the course of the time? And when you layer inside of that, we have had racial strife that has caused fractures. We have had political strife that have caused other fractures. We have a whole lot of healing to do once we're all vaccinated and can get back together with one another. And uh, it's going to start with people aren't even used to being around each other anymore. You know, I, I feel it when I watch television. You go watch an old movie or and you're like, get away from each other. You're too close. You know, where's your mask? You know, <laughs> But I see a picture on social media and people are like at, a, at a party. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, wait, that was a picture from three years ago. <laughs> when we issue old pictures, we have to put like little things. It was dated. That, this yeah. Was, yeah, this was taken before the pandemic, right? Um, but there's going to be a time period here where like people are going to have to get used to being around one another again and actually conversing with a full body experience, you know, rather than just talking heads. Um, we're not, we're not ready for that. We, we got to get ready and get the, I know with our kids returning to in-person learning here more frequently, I've heard a lot of kids talking about, well, I didn't think that that would, what, that's what that kid looked like, or, oh, that's the kid that is annoying in class. He wasn't so annoying when we were in class together. You know, it's just interesting, yeah. these dynamics and relationships that are going to have to change. Um, you know, I have people on my staff that I've never been in the same room with. You know, we hired them this year, and I've never been in the same room with them. Right, right. You know, we have students that have never stepped foot on campus, and they're almost sophomores. You know, it, there's going to be a lot of healing and getting to know and, and knowledge to, to gain to move forward. Yeah. Well, when you look at these platforms and, and these dynamics, do you see any parts of it that you think um, will remain or should remain? Um, are, are there any sort of advantages to having this kind of weird, distant, and yet intimate um, conversation? I know as a parent, I've never spoken more with my children's teachers one-to-one -one than I have over the past year, just because we're able to do it this way instead of having to, you know, get in line at, you know, at, at the guidance counselor's office or, or whatever. Talk a little bit about how you see maybe some of this stuff sticking around. Yeah, I think there's going to definitely be some holdovers. I think you touched on one of the key ones. I think parent-teacher conferences, what we have heard from teachers and from parents were far more effective over Zoom. Teachers didn't have, or parents didn't have to rush out of work. They could do it whether they were at home or at work still, they could hop on for a quick session. If they couldn't get in that night, they could just schedule a different five minute chunk sometime in the next couple of weeks and drop in and get to know the teacher and get their questions answered. And it worked really effectively, especially in, you know, we have high schools, you know, between 2,200 and 2,700 students, just parking and getting in the building on parent teacher conference night is a challenge right. and this you know everybody could do it from home i heard a lot of times where teachers and parents were interacting and then they get to a point where they call the student into the room and be like wait a second this is like you got to square this up because like the teacher <laughs> and i are not on the same page yeah and you're 
you're the factor in here that's it's messing this up. Let's <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I think that that's, that's one that has potential for sticking around. IEP meetings. Mm. We are hearing a lot that uh, from a lot of folks that IEP meetings are far more effective because you need to pull these wide variety of team members together to have an effective IEP meeting. Parents don't have to leave work to get there. You can get more people in the room because schedules are easier to work out. And uh, I'm hearing a lot of good things about virtual IEP meetings. Okay. Uh, I think those will stick around. I think uh, opportunities for teachers, schools, students to share their stories. I think you're going to see a lot more of that, um, you know, where in a 30 minute or a 20 minute, you're like stop in and hear about what this student's doing, the school is doing, this person is doing like what we're doing in this podcast, um, you know, those quick vignette professional development, professional sharing things are, are going to stick around, mm. you know, where, hey, you could drop in over a lunch break and find out about this and get to meet this person. And there's no travel, there's no, you know, filing into a room or those kinds of things. And you can get what you needed and be on your way. Um, and then finally, I, one of the things that we have done, uh, a great deal of in our district are webinars mm. where it's uh, I call them ask me anything's I do it with my staff once a month I have one tomorrow and I do it with my community once a month uh, as well where I do a little short presentation here's what's going on in the district and then ask me anything you know what questions you have out there I like I'm here and I'm happy to answer your questions if I did a community meeting and I had 10 people show up to it that would be a great turnout. My ask me anything's it's it's not uncommon uncommon to have between fifty and hundred people in wow. one of the sessions, and then we record them and people can go watch them later. So my reach on those could be a thousand to two thousand people, where before I didn't have that kind of reach. And my principals are doing the same kind of thing in their building, and I think those are going to stick around. You know, somebody can get home, get you know, get dinner on the table and sit down and, and have a conversation with the principal or I do mine during the lunch hour. So okay. you can, you know, take a break from work and just have your lunch and, and dial in and see what's going on in your district or watch it later. Yeah. Um, I think that there's some honesty and transparency that happens in that because it's all live and I'm either going to answer the question or I'm not. Right. 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 <laughs> and you're gonna, like, I've got to be ready to answer whatever questions my community has and they're going to see who I really am and what my demeanor is. And, you know, that's either going to build trust or it's going to erode trust, but the, the people I serve get to see who actually is doing the work. Right. Right. So I think those are some examples that'll stick. What we are really learning though, is that building relationships this way sucks. It is terrible. And we're hearing that from our kids building relationships between one another yeah. with their teachers you know that that in-person time is for building relationships and we can probably spend a little more time in our classrooms focusing on getting to know one another and building relationships with one another and then kind of push outside of that space some of this stuff the one-on-one -on -one help the quick check-ins the you know the office hour kind of stuff and then like let's not worry about some of this stuff when we're in person because 
the relationship piece is far more important and difficult to build. We should be dedicating more of that in-person time to that. So, I mean, that brings me back to conversations, again, dating ourselves, but when you talk about the flipped classroom, right, where you use the technology, maybe you're listening to the lectures, you're doing some of the hard work remotely, and then you, you spend the in-person time interacting with one another. But what you're talking about is even a more of an extension of that, more of a holistic sort of thing where you're, you're getting to know people and interacting and having some uh, emotional <laughs> training, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think the power of relationships has been, and the value of them has been exposed as a key part of just society and people yeah. that I think we have underestimated greatly over our time in education, that this more than anything is pointed to that, that, you know, building relationships when you are around other people and learning how to work with them and listen to them and, and connect to them uh, has been shown how important that is to really to learning. And uh, that's what's missing right now because we're delivering content and we're giving work for people to do. And, you know, but that connecting to people is so important to learning that we underestimated how essential that was in the past. And that that's really crystal clear now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Amongst many other things that have been kind of, shown such uh, a a brute force of what reality actually is. One of those being um, assessment and how we assess students. And I don't know, well, you give us an update on the situation, whether you had state testing in the spring or um, how the SAT situation went for your your high schoolers uh, and talk about how you see that particular aspect of education. Has it been changed forever? And is that for good, <laughs> and if it hasn't, well, what do you suggest those um, movements should be going forward? Yeah, well, the big thing that we've been resistant to admit in education is that any of those tests are indicative of anything. You know, they, they are there as a necessity because we haven't spent the time building credibility in other measures like grade point average or freshman on track data or college and career experiences are all all greater indicators of are you going to have post-secondary success than any standardized test score. However, the value that universities have put into standardized test scores and that states have built into metrics to indicate whether student or schools are performing have relied on those because they're easy and you know, you just pay for them, you carve out a day, you get some data and it goes. But what that data indicates is really socioeconomics, right? That it just reinforces that not only are those tests biased around socioeconomics and also around uh, uh, racial lines, um, you know, it, it, in aggregate, it really points to that for whole school systems. And it just reinforces what we already know. Those that have resources get ahead, right? right. And, and that's what the, from No Child Left Behind all the way until now has shown us over and over again, is that you're highly unlikely on a standardized test to outperform what the socioeconomics of your community and the diversity of your community predicts, right? And um, there's far better indicators, especially on an individual student level, of 
will they be successful as adults than any test? But we just haven't valued those things. And it's gonna be interesting now as you see more and more universities getting off of the standardized test train for a variety of factors. And some of them wanted to do it for a long time before this. Anyway. This is just a crisis they've been waiting for to step through this door. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, will some of these college and career readiness variables and factors fill in that gap moving forward, you know? Will GPA be a, a thing that's a better indicator or, you know, whether you had a, a workplace experience during your, you know, four years in high school or did you show up? You know, those are, those are all better predictors of are you gonna be successful in, in the military, in a job or in college than, than standardized tests. Well, and maybe too with the acceleration of a lot of these technologies, for instance, the one that we're using where we can finally start to talk about legitimate digital portfolios where students can actually show their work and actually show the way in which they interact with adults. And uh, as we said, that social emotional aspect of things. Um, could the door be open for those sort of opportunities? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's about time and resources, right? In some ways, standardized tests are the lazy way out of mm -hmm. sorting, right? But if you as a, as a institution, whether that be a college or it be a workplace, wanna put in that time to actually find out who the person is across from you and do they have the skills and the characteristics that we want in our organization, if you're willing to do those things, you know, then you ditch the other one. And as you actually recognize that really getting to know people and understand what they're about will better predict for you if they'll perform for you, the more that you realize that that time is well spent. And I think you're starting to see that in colleges, right? They're asking for more portfolio type admission processes, right? They want to That's see right. examples of your work. They do interviews, they have video submissions. A lot of schools that have had for a couple of years now, or many years, uh, test-free admission options where you do submit a portfolio of experiences and they go through and select students that way. Um, I think this is just, you know, where are you going to dedicate those resources to in making those decisions? I think what the tech tools do is they'll make it easier for employers or colleges or whoever to gather those artifacts and to quickly scan through them. You know, we as a school district now do video interviews. So uh, on the way through the door, you submit your resume and your letters of reference and your transcripts and all of those pieces, but you also participate in four 30-second interview videos that we capture you on the way through the door and that is a screening tool to see like, can you logically put together your thoughts and respond and, and speak to the issues of concern within our district. And one of those being diversity mm. and how we respond to equity in our school district. Like that is a huge hurdle. You know, one of the huge focuses in our district is equity. And we wanna make sure that everybody that's coming through for an interview can speak to that. And if you can't speak to that and you can only speak to it through jargon or not through your own experiences, you don't make it even to the table for the interview. Yeah. And I think that, but having these digital tools where 
the person applying for the job can submit all of these things into their digital portfolio, including their own thoughts, words, voice, you know, an image provides us a better set of tools to make those decisions. Where back in the day, you're looking at just resumes, right? Right. right. Whoever could write the best resume came to the table. Now you're actually seeing some, some pieces. I know some school districts have you upload a video of you teaching. So, mm. you know, there's different things out there. We're actually seeing what they're doing. I think you're going to see colleges and universities follow suit. You know, all some already are. You're seeing other workplaces do that as well, um, where you know you're really trying to gather enough data to make a good choice about that person. And as more of those tools get easier to use and process, these other crutches can can go to the wayside. Can go away. So another silver lining, maybe from all this madness, that these sort of things have accelerated, right? Right. Well, everybody's a heck of a lot more comfortable on video now. That's right. <laughs> I mean, and, and, share, and uploading resources and finding resources. If nothing else, the digital literacy of society has taken a massive leap forward. That's true. Very true. The result of the past year. Well, to, to, to finish up, earlier in the conversation, you mentioned that when you're talking about uh, leadership in your district, and needing to have a, a three to five year sort of uh, vision or horizon on where you want to take programs and things. How do you do that now when things uh, are so still after 10 months kind of day to day triage? Um, are you, are you able to do that? And if so, give, give us a little bit of where, you know, your best case scenario for your, for your district. And let, let, let's go with the positive here. Mm -hmm. vaccinations continue apace the fall is as normal as you can find the fall to be give, give us a little bit of a, a, a vision for your district and uh, maybe some suggestions for other um, folks who are trying to put that together for their own for their own districts yeah we've started talking as a leadership team uh, concept that I raised earlier in the conversation of how do we heal everybody as we come back and yeah. what does that look like and uh, starting that by having just com checking conversations with people and building some of those skills amongst our leadership team of just sitting across from somebody and checking in on them and understanding where they're at, where they've been, kind of where they're looking to go. Because that's what we're going to need to do with each student as they come through back through the door to be in school for a full day. But uh, there's a lot of things that we need to be considering. You know, we're going to have kids that for the they're going to have gone 18 months and they've been able to pick and choose where they sit and work. If they have a bottle of water next to them or not, are they chewing gum? What are they wearing to school that, that makes it comfortable, you know, and kids have been learning in pajamas for 18 months. It's kind of hard to say what a dress code might need to be when they return. I mean, there's a lot of things to think about how the last, you know, how those 18 months leading up to a return next fall, is impacted how people think about mm -hmm. how the world operates and how it works and what some of the barriers and boundaries that we traditionally have built within schools, you know, what does that mean now? You know, and, uh, you know, the pace at which kids work and how that, we've got to factor all of that in. And I think coming back in the fall is going to be reestablishing norms and expectations and why we do things within schools. And, uh, some of it's going to be 
there's a whole bunch of work we were doing before this hit. And it's just going to be getting that stuff back up and going for our long-term work. Some of that will go by the wayside because we realize, well, we thought that was important. It's really not that important anymore. You know, and then there's going to be whole things that, that change that we're going to have to grapple with. You know, what do we do with the students that, and the parents that tell us, hey, my child did better remotely. Like, I, I don't want them ever to be back in the school again. You know, when, when they could turn off their camera and, and just be there with the teacher, they weren't bullied, they weren't chastised for what they wore or what their hair looked like or what their skin color was or, you know, I don't want them to be back in the classroom. They were safe in my house. And I don't feel like they're safe with you. Uh, and, you know, we're going to have some really hard questions to square up with families as we bring them back. Um, I think some of that's just going to be offset by the excitement of getting back into the world again. But there are going to yeah. be real, some real underlying questions that are there, you know. And by the time we return in the fall, half of our students will not have been in a school. Well, actually, two or three-fourths of our students will not have been on campus, you know, for an entire school year right? Yeah. It, it's crazy at the, at the high school level, you know, your, so your, your current sophomores were only in school for seven months and now, so, and didn't finish the school year and then have going to be out for probably an entire school year in some shape or fashion in this, this model, not a non-traditional model. Yeah. Your ninth graders, next year they will become sophomores they will have never spent a whole traditional school year and then you'll have your incoming freshmen that have never been to high school your ninth graders have never been to high school before so next school year at the high school level across the country you will only have your seniors that back when they were freshmen had a full, had a full regular school year right yeah. so it, it's going to take you four or five years to work through what is normal in a high school again in America. Wow. Yeah. You know, and nothing yeah. will be like it was before because those traditions are passed down from student to student, you know, year after year. This, I don't think people have started to think about how many traditions are just gone now and now we're remaking new ones. Yeah. You know, there's nobody to pass those legacy things down from year to year, yeah. you know, I, I started as a band director. I know how those things were ingrained into, you know, whether it was your band program or your sports team or, you know, those are all going to start over fresh. Wow. And we got to be prepared to lead that and guide kids through that. Well, my hat is off to you <laughs> for having that burden and, and for, you know, for all of the uh, folks who are listening and watching, I mean, it's, you're right. I mean, it's just because we can go back in doesn't mean it's all going to just go away, right? I mean, it's going to be you know, a, a, a societal change, yeah. Well, because there are people like you behind uh, in the leadership positions, I have faith that it will happen, and it will happen in a way that uh, the children will continue to learn, and both emotionally, as you talked about, but also academically. So, Hank, I really appreciate your time. Your insights, I think, are uh, hugely important a lot to unpack a lot to think about and uh i hope i can come back to you uh in, in six or seven months and we can talk about further improvements thanks for having me kevin
Thanks. And thanks everybody for watching.